0: morning church family and I don't use that word lightly. Um, I love the fact uh, that we, God is building us into a family all the time here at New Hope Kailu and I just want to add just a quick word. Aaron you've been such a blessing to me over these years and I look forward to hearing what God's going to do in this next chapter. It's going to be awesome, but uh, thank you, and God bless you as you go. And to the church family online, um, I want to say, I want to see you next Sunday. There's a whole bunch of our church family I literally have not seen for over a year face-to-face. And uh, uh, please take advantage of this opportunity to come back. The party's going to be outside. It's going to be safe. And it'll be just a great time for us to enjoy what Folly said, uh, in-person relationships, and seeing your friends and your church family here at... um, At New Hope Kailua. So please, uh, we'll be in touch and uh, we're looking forward. Do you realize 14 years? I thought about that. We're studying Revelation. 14 years of God's faithfulness at New Hope Kailua. 14 is twice times seven. (laughs) Seven is the number of completion, perfection, creation. And so we've got double reason to celebrate God's perfect. Faithfulness is goodness here at New Hope Kailu, and I can't believe where 14 years have gone. You know, I was 25 years old when we planted this church, and 14 years later, I can't... I'm just kidding. Most of you know I'm just kidding. But God has blessed us for 14 years, we're going to celebrate His faithfulness together. Well, church family, one of the powerful ways that we communicate with each other is through images. Is through images. I want to put an image up on the uh, screen for you right now, an image uh, that you all know of. You all know what that is. But behind that image, or with that image, the uh, Statue of Liberty comes all sorts of ideas and even emotions, because that's what images do. They communicate ideas, and they communicate emotions. Just those of us that are uh, in, just feel free. What what does that image convey to you? Just go ahead and shout out. Freedom. Liberty. Justice. Opportunity. How many of us um, are either our generation or our parents' generation are immigrants to the United States of America? Raise your hand if you're, there's a lot of us, okay? And whether we came through New York, I came through Texas. I met and married Martha in Texas, but I became an immigrant and, and that sign means to me freedom, liberty, opportunity. There's not another country in the world that most of us would want to live in. So it's an image but it has all of these ideas and emotions associated with it. Not all of the images that are positive. Here's another image and uh, you can see what this image means. What does that? Well it's the the sign of the third reich. Hitler's Germany and I won't need to ask you to shout out but it has all sorts of evil connotations uh, destruction and killing of Jews and the attempted world It's they're all evil images none of us would fly that image on our house none of us would want to have any identification with that image okay? it's a powerful image but in an evil way here's the third image and I want to ask you what does this image mean to you anybody want to shout out what the meaning of this image is happiness Anybody online know what this image even means? I'm looking for a hand online. I don't see any hands on. No hands on this. Do you know what this image is? This is the flag of Angola, an African country. Now, if you didn't know that, Angola is the land I was born in. And I'm quite offended that you didn't even know <laughs> the sign of the country, of my birth country. And you didn't know. I don't feel too badly about it, because until I googled it yesterday, I didn't know what it looked like either. That was a long time ago, I was born in Angola. But I show this image for this reason. It's an image with meaning, but it has no meaning to you. Why? Because you didn't really understand the image. And that's part of what happens in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, God communicates to us through image. John the Apostle has his eyes lifted up in visions and the Holy Spirit gives him visions and they're filled with images but a lot of those images we don't get some of the reasons we don't get them is because we haven't really read our Old Testament very much because many of the images, most of them, are rooted in the Old Testament. They're rooted in the book of Daniel. They're rooted in the book of Isaiah. They're rooted in the book of Ezekiel. And so the people who are familiar with the Old Testament, when they read that, they say, oh yeah, that's what it is. That's what it means. Those are the emotions that go with it. But a lot of us, we say, "Like, that's like the flag of Angola. I don't even know what it is. So one of the blessings of studying the book of Revelation is that it pushes us. It pushes us to understand all of the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament. Sometimes the images are interpreted right in the passage. So this morning we're going to look at an image, a basic image, in Revelation chapters 17 through 19. It's the image of a beast with seven heads and ten horns, and riding on that beast is a woman, now it's not a pretty picture of a woman. She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. She's a whore. And she's riding this beast. And that's the major image, and we're going to look at what God is going to communicate to us through that image. If um, we can, I just want to show you a picture before we read the text. This is just an artist's rendering, and I hope you can see it with some level of clarity. But there's a beast there. And it has seven heads. And it has features of three animals, the feet of a bear. It looks like a leopard, but it has heads like a lion. We've seen this beast before in Revelation chapter 13. It's the beast that comes from the sea, the place of chaos and death and evil. And it's the beast that's empowered by the dragon, Satan himself. It's a beast who's a member of this evil trinity, Satan, the dragon, the beast from the sea, the beast from the land, the counterfeit trinity, the fake trinity that's seeking the worship of the world. That's the beast. And riding on this beast is this harlot, this whore, this woman. And she's got a golden cup. And it's filled not with wine, with abominations, with things that are detestable to God. And this is just an artist rendering. This is not, you know, if you open your book to Revelation, John is given a visual, a verbal, not a visual, he's given a verbal, gives us a verbal picture of this image. So, who is the beast? And who is the, the woman? Well, um, we have to rely on the images. The beast we saw in, a couple of weeks ago, the beast is political powers, political empires that rise up in rebellion against God, that are opposed to God, that are at war with God and seek to persecute his people. See, how did you know that's the beast? Well, because the beast is described in terms from Ezekiel of political kingdoms. The lion, the bear, the the, uh, leopard, that's right out of Ezekiel, and those are political kingdoms. Um, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, that were attacking God, that were attacking God's people, that are opposed to God, that are hostile to God. That's political kingdoms that are rising up against God. Who is the beast in John's day when he wrote the book of Revelation? Well, the beast is Rome. It's the Roman Empire. It's the political power that is opposed to God. And and although they're the world's superpower, they're persecuting and killing Christians. They're rise in in, in, uh, Nero's day. They're throwing them into the games. They're destroying them with animals. They're persecuting. John himself is exiled. Sent to live in another place apart from his family, his church, his friends. He's being persecuted for one reason. His faith in Jesus. Does the beast exist today? Yes, he does. China is the beast coming out of the sea. It's a political power that is uh, atheistic. And it's a political power that oppresses Christians and other peoples as well. And... Um, There's no question that China is the beast. Iran is the beast. It's a political power. It's an empire that persecutes Christians. That's anti-God. Khomeini and and those that rule, they don't worship the living God and his son Jesus Christ. Is the United States of America the beast? Well, most of us say we're blessed to live in a country of religious freedom, although that can be threatened and has been threatened in some ways. I would say the United States of America has beastly elements. It has beastly elements. A country whose political leadership uh, permits and condones the destruction of life in the womb. That's anti-God. That's anti-Christ. He's the life giver. He creates life and he creates life in the womb. He's given us this wonderful gift and we take that and, and we criticize other countries like Nazi Germany for killing 6 million Jews and we kill 60 million Not 6 million, 60 million since that law has been legal. And that's anti-God, and that's an element of the beast. And God has created man and woman and the nuclear family as his base for the society. And our political leader says, no, we're going to redefine family. We're going to redefine marriage. We're going to redefine these issues because we're not going to submit ourselves to God and his ways. That's beastly. That's anti-Christ. Now, all of these powers, and and if you've studied the book of Revelation, many interpreters see the beast operating through history and leading to the ultimate beast, the Antichrist, a person who in the future will bring world opposition against God and world opposition against Christians. Could that happen? Absolutely. It's kind of like Germany and Hitler. Interestingly, John, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit, never calls the beast the Antichrist other interpreters do they put together other scriptures and uh, John never calls him the Antichrist John says John's the only one in the New Testament who speaks about the Antichrist and he says there's been Antichrist before him there's Antichrist in his day and there'll be more Antichrists. but could there be a personified person not just a political power yes in the future absolutely and just like Nazi Germany came up and at the head of Nazi Germany was Adolf Hitler The beast of the beastly nations, the Antichrist, although he didn't turn out to be. But yes, that could happen. There's many things we we don't know for the future, but that could definitely happen. What's very clear is that the beast is first and foremost political powers that are hostile towards God and persecute his people. Who is the woman riding on the beast? Well, we're going to see she's named Babylon. Who is Babylon? Babylon. Well, again, this is a biblical image that goes right back to Genesis 11. And this woman, in terms of your notes, the, the Babylon is actually a code word. It's used throughout the, uh, the scriptures. It's used here in Revelation. But it's a code word, and what it stands for is humanity's prideful rebellion, arrogant rebellion, and wickedness towards God. That's the idea behind Babylon. If you read the very first the story Babylon comes from the word Babel Genesis chapter 11 where humanity rose up and out of self-achievement and pride and rebellion against God they built a tower up to heaven and the what the unity of their rebellion was their language and God looked down on that and he said I'm gonna take away their common language and he confused the languages in an act of judgment so that they would never find their unity as a human race in language or in culture but ultimately they should find their unity in God. And the day of Pentecost. Turn that around. But that would be another sermon. Okay. The point is. Babel stands for. Prideful rebellion against God. Self achievement. Independence. Arrogance. All of that is Babylon. Now interestingly. If you read your Old Testament. Nineveh is Babylon. Another city is Babylon. What? Uh, Tyre is Babylon. Greece is Babylon. Even in the New Testament. Peter calls Rome Babylon there are many Babylon it's because it's a code word that speaks of those ideas those are obviously not the same cities Babylon the city becomes Babylon (laughs) so you've got many Babylon's and here we've got the woman riding on the beast is Babylon and Babylon speaks of those earthly powers that are in prideful rebellion against God and she is riding the back of the beast she's being carried by the beast But here's the point, and I I want us to look at these two chapters, and I want to show you right up front. This is the big idea. Babylon and the beast are going to be destroyed. God's judgment of Babylon the great, the great superpower of the day, the great superpower of Babylon in in, um, the uh, prophet's age, the, the Babylon of Egypt. Is destroyed. The Babylon of Rome is destroyed. Whatever Babylon raises up is going to be destroyed. And ultimately, the final Babylon before the return of Jesus is headed for hell. Babylon comes from hell, Babylon ends up in hell. It's gonna be destruction and judgment. That's the point of Revelation chapter 19, 17 to 19. It's God's judgment of Babylon, the good date. And, and I wanna just make it real clear, this is the big idea. God will destroy the rebellious evil powers on earth wherever they rise up. God is going to destroy at the end of times all evil rebellious powers against him. That's the big idea. Now I want to do three things in time we have this morning. It struck me this week that we, we studied the book of Revelation. Do you realize there are two chapters in the whole book of Revelation devoted to messages from the Holy Spirit for seven churches. Seven churches, two chapters. Here we've got two and a half chapters. Of one theme, and that's the destruction of Babylon. That ought to tell us something. The Holy Spirit wants us to pay attention. He's given us two and a half chapters about the destruction of Babylon. So we're going to tackle all of that this morning. And um, I hope you brought some lunch, because if we go over... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We will get you home before lunch. But get ready, because we're going to move over this. I want to just read it. We're not going to put the words up on the screen. But as we read it, it's the Word of God. And I would just want to summarize, I see, and I'm getting into this number seven for Revelation, in these two and a half chapters, I see seven truths, great truths about God's judgment of Babylon. And I wanted to just to notice those as we read them, without going into lots of detail. But I also want us to note as we read them, the seven sins of Babylon. Now the Bible, the text doesn't say here are the seven sins, but as I read it through, I see seven. There might be more there, you might find nine. But I see seven sins of Babylon. You and I need because God is going to judge Babylon for her sins. More important than that, the great truths of God's judgment of Babylon, the evil powers of the earth. More important even than knowing the sins of Babylon, I hope you will see there's a personal word from the Holy Spirit to you, a believer in Jesus Christ, in this passage, and to me. So as we read it through, I want you to see what that personal word is, and we'll summarize it at the end. All right. So put on your seatbelts. We're going to move through this fairly quickly. But now starting in chapter 17, I just want to summarize and we'll put the headings up on the screen. Uh, Get the app because you can uh, uh, catch these in your app. Consider them uh, later in your connect group as you discuss them. This will summarize the great truths that are there. And then we'll look at the sins. And more importantly, we'll look at what God's message is to you and me as a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the seven angels, chapter 17, seven angels, this is the last part of the bowl judgments, seven bowls of judgment, seven angels, and this is the climax of the bowl judgments. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great harlot, the great prostitute. Uh, Right there, let's note one of the sins. Sexual immorality. Why an image of a prostitute, a harlot? Sexual immorality. That's part of Babylon. Who sits by many waters. Well, we're going to see in verse 15, what does that mean? That means that she exercises rule over nations, over cultures, a worldwide influence. She sits over many waters around the world. She has a worldwide influence. The text will say that later. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. Political leaders, other nations, they commit adultery and um uh, immorality as well and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated the inhabitants of the earth are those uh, people living on the planet who don't look to god who don't have faith in christ and they're drunk with the wine of her adulteries now we've seen in that first day that idolatry and sexual immorality went hand in hand in the roman culture that if you worshipped idols you'd go up to the temple and you'd uh, have opportunity to have sex with a temple prostitute. I mean, and and when there were guilds that worshiped these other false gods, they would have festivals and sexual immorality. So idolatry and sexual immorality went hand in hand. And this is part of Babylon, part of this harlot. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit. So one sin, sexual immorality, the other one was idolatry. There I saw a woman, this prostitute, sitting on a scarlet beast. Scarlet is the, the color of the dragon. He's the red dragon. He's associated with Satan himself. And he's empowered by Satan. He comes out of Satan's authority in Revelation chapter 13. And he was covered with blasphemous names. Well, what did that mean to John's readers? It, mean, it meant like the, the Roman empires were setting themselves up as idols, as gods, and they would say, Domini du a, a Deus. Lord and God for Dalmatian or Kaiser Curios um, Caesar is Lord and the Christians would say no that's blasphemous Jesus is Lord and we're not going to offer offerings to the, uh, the idols at the temple and put our incense and prayers up to them because Jesus is Lord and what you're saying is blasphemy this is what it meant in their context it means something a little bit different in ours but the truth is still there because we have just more sophisticated idols with name, and they had seven heads and ten horns that's the beast that came out of the sea in chapter 13 catch this what does the woman look like remember these are images and they communicate the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet those are very expensive clothes very fine clothes very wealthy clothes and pearl or um Those are her clothes. And she was glittering with gold, with precious stones and pearls. She had all the signs of wealth. She had a golden cup in her hand. And with that was filled the abominable things, the detestable things to God. And the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead, and we've seen the name on forehead speaks about character. speaks about identity. speaks about allegiance. Whose team you're on whom you're worshiping and so there's the mark of the beast that looks at your character and your allegiance to Satan ultimately even though you may not know it and the mark of the lamb the seal of the lamb doesn't mean that you have Jesus tattooed on your forehead it means you have the character and identity and allegiance and faith in Jesus you belong to him here she's got a name on her forehead and the name written on her forehead was a mystery she's Babylon the great well again Babylon is that prideful Rebellion against God. The mother of prostitutes. What does that mean? She's not just the prostitute. She's given birth to prostitution all over the planet. She's had influence on kings and nations and a worldwide influence in rebellion and self-achievement and and and, self-glorification and all of those things that speak about Babylon. Rebellion. And uh, she has spread that all over the planet and of the abominations of the whole earth. And I saw the woman was what? She's drunk. Everybody, well, the people in the world are drunk. They're intoxicated and she's drunk. She's intoxicated by what? The blood of God's holy people. Because the Roman Empire and many other empires and we've seen... uh, Persecute and kill Christians and we, we've seen that there are 13 Christians every day that are killed simply for their faith Those are the ones we know about. We don't know about many others in countries where we don't get news reports But this is going on every day. Thank God it doesn't happen in our country But this political empire world power is rising up against God and part of it does is, what it does is it destroys Christians And persecutes Christians and murders Christians the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. So, what's going on in this, in this passage? God will judge world powers for their idolatry and immorality. Secondly, uh, so there's a third sin there persecution and murder. That's part of Babylon. Number two, Jesus will triumph over these evil powers. Why? Because who he is, he's the sovereign king of the universe. These evil powers, however they take shape in our world or in the future world, they're all gonna be destroyed. This is the destruction of Babylon. And whether it's the beast or whether it's the the prostitute or whether it's kings and powers that are associated with her, it's all gonna come to destruction because Jesus has ultimate power. That's what this text says. Then I saw her, I was greatly astonished. The angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss. It comes from hell and it's going to hell and go to its destruction. And later in the book, sure enough, the beast gets cast into the eternal fire. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. Now there's something interesting going subtle in the text there. Several times John describes this beast as it once was, now is not, yet will come, and it has the reverberation or the echo of the way Jesus is spoken of. Because, for example, in chapter 1 and 8, Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come, and what's going on here? Is the Holy Spirit and John is saying this beast is a counterfeit Messiah it's a counterfeit and and may well be a person who in the future has the counterfeit role of the Messiah that deceives the world but there's a parody going on here there's there's a, a recognition that it's the fake one because Jesus is the one who died and rose from the dead but this one this beast who's headed for hell looks in some ways like Jesus look And Jesus said there will be false messiahs coming. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills. Oh, now that rang a bell for people in the first century because Rome, the city of Rome, was built literally on seven hills. So some interpret this, the, the seven hills and the seven kings, very literally about Roman rulers. Others interpret it symbolically of, of this idea of complete rule or, or f- the fullness of these kings rule. Either way, and uh, good scholars of the Bible come with some different views on this. I don't want to get wrapped around the axle. The point is, whatever those kings and kingdoms are, they're, they're headed for destruction because of who Jesus is. Don't miss that. That's what he says. The woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. He's headed for judgment. So whether you interpret all of these literally and some have tried to fit in Roman rulers and there's some real interpretive problems with that because they don't all line up and you have to kind of fudge the facts a little bit to make seven, but that's okay. In any case, don't miss this point. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not received a kingdom, but but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the Lamb. There will be warfare of these rebellious powers against Jesus. But the Lamb will triumph over them. This is the whole point. Because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's the absolute King of the universe. He's the Son of God. He has absolute powers. None of these earthly powers have a chance against him. That's the point. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So, truth number two, Jesus will triumph over these evil powers because of who he is. He is the sovereign king. Number three, we're moving in, moving on. God's judgment includes the self-destructive power of evil. Okay, in this next text we're going to read, what happens is, the beast who's carrying the prostitute, carrying these evil uh, powers that are in Prideful rebellion against God. The beast turns and actually devours the prostitute. Kills her. Destroys her. And there's a very important... That God will use evil to judge evil. The angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits, we saw this, their peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. She has a worldwide influence. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. It's carrying the prostitute. It's aligned with the prostitute but it will turn against the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh. They will devour her and burn her with fire for God has put it in their hearts. Who's in charge of all judgment? God will use evil to judge evil. God has put it in their hearts to accomplish his purpose and his purpose is to bring an end to all of these destructive evil powers by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority and God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city. The great city of Babylon that rules over the kings of the earth. And after this I saw another angel. And by the way, can I just give you a quick example of where God used evil to judge evil in human history? 586 B.C. You had the evil of an apostate city of Jerusalem under God's judgment. And whom did he use to come and bring earthly judgment to Jerusalem? Babylon, a wicked empire. He used evil to rise up and judge, bring judgment on Jerusalem the apostate sin. Ezekiel, if you want to read about that later, you can read about it in Ezekiel 23 and 16 because that's exactly how Ezekiel portrays it. And John is well aware of that, that God will use evil to judge evil. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, another powerful angel. And the earth was illumined by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, catch this, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. People lived well. People gained wealth from those evil powers. But the point is that God is going to use evil to bring judgment upon evil that evil itself self-destructs number four God's judgment calls for his people to flee Babylon Holy Spirit says to John tell those believers get the heck out of Dodge Babylon is not a city you want to be living in you need to flee then I heard another voice from heaven say come out of her my people so that you will not share in her sins Well, we've seen what the sins of Babylon are, some of them, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, her judgments, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God is going to judge them, and God has remembered her crimes, when it says remembered, God doesn't have memory lapses, it means he's now acting to fulfill his promises of righteous in in, in righteous judgment. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment, as grief, as what? The glory and luxury she gave herself. And here you see the prideful rebellion of Babylon. In her heart, she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I'm self-glorified. I am not a widow. I don't have to worry about losing in battle. I will never mourn. I will never suffer for loss. She's built up with independence and pride and self glorification, just like the Tower of Babel. And you see her pride, uh, her heart of pride and arrogance, independence from God, rebellion against God, idolatry, immorality, all of these are the sins of Babylon. Therefore, in one day, and it's a way of saying it's going to happen suddenly. God's judgment calls for his people to flee Babylon. It's going to happen in one day. Um, plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. Number five. All of these great truths about God's judgment on these evil powers of Babylon. God's judgment on evil powers will come suddenly. Suddenly. And it will bring disaster for those who live off their prosperity. This is a major theme. You don't want to be living off the prosperity of Babylon because you will suffer personal disaster. What we have in this passage is you have a a funeral scene. You have three groups of people that are lamenting. Whoa, whoa, I'm ruined. And they're all groups that lived off the luxury, off the wealth, off the prosperity of the evil powers. First is the kings, then there's the merchants, then there's the sea people, the captains and the sailors. Okay, So let's read this. By the way, uh, Old Testament reference, you can jot down Ezekiel 27, because in Ezekiel 27, the the prophet laments the same three groups of people over Tyre, who was the, the economic Babylon of its day. And this goes on in every generation. And John saw it in in, in his generation, and it happens in our generation, and it will uh, very well end up with all of these powers being destroyed in the ultimate end of the uh, history when Jesus Christ returns. So first of all, verse nine, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her shared her luxury, they see the smoke of her burning, what they will weep and mourn for her terrified at her torment they will stand far off and cry woe woe to you great city you mighty city of babylon in 1 hour that means suddenly comes to an end 1 hour your doom has come they're not so much caring about babylon the city they're caring for the fact that their lives have been ruined because they were living large off of babylon and associated with babylon number 2 the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for, over her because no one buys their cargos anymore. What kind of cargos? Well, Ho- Holy Spirit reveals to John the cargo and it's filled with wealth and prosperity. They were living large and gaining their prosperity from these evil powers. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes and cinnamons and spice of incense, myrrh and frankincense of wine, and olive of fine flour of wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and don't miss the last one. Human beings sold as slaves. A whole list of um, what they're mourning. And again, they're mourning. They've been a part of this. They've been living wealthy off of these evil powers. Even slavery. One of the sins of Babylon is the self-indulgence. The, none of these things are evil in themselves, but they were living a lives of materialistic self-indulgence off of these evil powers. And some of that involved injustice. Rome, it's estimated, when John wrote this, Rome was estimated that the population of the whole Roman Empire, some estimate that 10%, others estimate up to 30% of the entire population were imported slaves. Rome built its wealth on slavery. They took human beings and turned through oppression, oppressed them, for the economic benefit of others. And I don't need to mention that's part of the United States history. We've come a long ways from that. But anytime we see economic oppression in our country, it's an evil. It's an evil against God. It was an evil in Rome. And uh, so here's two more sins of Babylon. We've got materialistic self-indulgence, people just living for the good things of this life, living off of the world evil powers. And involved with that was, we could say, economic oppression, slavery. And what happens? It's all going to be destroyed. Verse, uh, verse. uh, 17, every sea captain, the third group of people that profited off these evil powers, all who travel by ship, the sailors, all who earn their living from the sea, they'll stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? Was there ever a great superpower like the United States of America? Did every country ever have such a huge um, economic power, which can be used for good or it can be used for evil? And I'll just leave it there. But in the next generation, for your grandchildren's children, if Jesus doesn't come back, will the United States be the world power? It's a, good, it's a fair question. Where's Rome? Where's Egypt? Where's Babylon? There's no guarantee it will continue, because God will bring judgment on these world forces and those who profit off them. And while, so one hour, uh, well, they, every, what, let me just read, when they see They will weep and mourn, and uh, these are the sea captains. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning cry out again, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, suddenly, she's been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, in contrast to their laments. There's rejoicing when God brings his justice to these evil powers. You heavens, rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, many of whom been murdered. For God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone, threw it into the sea, and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade, trade will be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. You're done. It says over and over again, you're, un, un, you're going to be destroyed. The voice of the bridegroom and bride marriages will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people, those who made wealth and status by the, by the, on the back of those evil powers by your magic spell. Catch this. All the nations were led astray deception the nations are led astray people in our country and our community are led astray behind all of this is satan the father of lies and people are led astray and that's a sign of the sin of babylon as well deception number six and we're almost done god's judgment of evil powers demonstrates his justice and faithfulness That's the celebration of those who are in heaven. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. What's heaven celebrating? The very character of God and his judgments of destroying Babylon. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to God. Not to the beast, not to the harlot, but to God. For true and just are his judgments. He's just. And he does not let the guilty go unpunished. The lamb has given his life in love to forgive the sins who turn and, and follow him. But he is just and he will bring judgment on those who are in rebellion and independence against him. That's the message of this text. True and just judge judgment. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Now, let me just... Trying to identify, because we we don't identify, we live in a free country. I don't have to be worried about being rounded up and thrown in prison because I'm a follower of Jesus. But if you were in China, and um, if your uncle got uh, picked up by the police and put in prison and disappeared and you never saw him again, you were sure he was dead. When God brings judgment on those kind of powers, what are you going to do? Thank you, God. Praise God. There's justice for the evil, the wickedness, the bloodshed that happened on earth. That's the group that John is writing to, people whose lives were actively persecuted and some even killed and some thrown in prison and some exiled simply for their faith in Jesus. And when God brings judgment on those evil powers, the response of the believers is thank God that we have a just God, that he's going to deal with this, that it's going to go away, that it's going to end, that it's not going to continue forever and ever because either no one's in charge or the person who is in charge isn't just. No, Jesus is just. It's the wrath, the righteous indignation and and judgment of the lamb, of the one who gives his life so that people can be saved. That leads us to the seventh one. God's judgment of evil powers calls for celebration. And the hallelujah chorus already started and it continues in verse 3. They shouted, hallelujah, the smoke from destroyed Babylon goes up forever and ever, never to return again. The 24 elders and the four, and by the way, we're just going to, what happens when God destroys Babylon? He brings the new heavenly Jerusalem. He brings his new creation, the new heavens and the new earth where there is no injustice, where there is no suffering, where there is no pain, where there is no death. But there's a celebration, a hallelujah chorus that before that comes, there's the judgment of evil on earth. The 24 elders, this, this realm of and exalted uh, angels that are like the heavenly worship team, and the four living creatures, they fall down and they worship God, who was seated on the throne because he rules, and he rules in just judgment. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah, so be it. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you folks at New Hope Kailua, praise God, you who fear him, both great and small, because he is a God who has a heart of love, but a heart of justice as well. And there will be destruction to all of these evil powers. All right, in the couple of moments we have before we leave this morning, this, let me just reiterate. What are the seven sins of Babylon? They're there on your app. Prideful independence, idolatry, worshiping things that aren't God. They may not be Zeus or uh, Apollos or or, uh, the emperor of Rome, but they can be other things. Anything you put on the throne of your life as number one in your life, that's who you worship, that's your idol. Immorality, sexual immorality, self-indulgent materialism, deception, injustice, persecution. Those are seven of the sins of Babylon. And so what do believers like you and me do? Well, I hope you heard the word of the Holy Spirit to you this morning personally. It's simply this. Get out of Babylon. Does Babylon live in Kailua? Absolutely. You can find all of the elements of Babylon in Kailua. Does Babylon live in in, in Kaneohe? Absolutely. Is is the city of Waimanalo Babylon? No, it's the new Jerusalem. Waimanalo is perfect. Come on, some of you from Waimanalo, say amen to that. The point is we're surrounded by Babylon. And the word of the Lord to you and me is get the heck out of Dodge. Doesn't mean a geographical separation because you can't go anywhere where there isn't Babylon. You can choose to move from Kailua, but you'll just move to another Babylon because all of these elements are worldwide. And so this is a call to believers to live in the world, but not of the world, is the way John puts it in it. Get the heck out of Babylon. Don't live the values of Babylon. Live the values of Jesus. Write with him. The mark, have the mark of his character, his, your faith in him, your allegiance to Jesus. Have that mark your life as you live surrounded by Babylon. So what does that mean? I'm going to mention just real quickly. All of the opposites of the sins of Babylon is the way that we need to flee Babylon and get the heck out of Dodge. Okay. So one of the sins of Babylon is pride. Be humble in your faith in Jesus and be humble in your faith in life. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means when you recognize with humility your spiritual need, you have spiritual poverty, you are helpless apart from what Christ has done for you on the cross. And that leads you to trust him, his death on the cross for your forgiveness so that you belong to that heavenly crowd and the overcomers in Jesus. And for theirs is the kingdom of God Put your faith in Jesus in humility, recognize your spiritual need, not in prideful independence, arrogance from God, and then live by faith in Jesus. Apart from him, you can do pretty well in life. No, you can do nothing, is what Jesus said. You're absolutely dependent on him spiritually. He's the vine, you're the branch, I'm the branch, and live in dependence on Jesus. Not self-independence, not self-glorification. That's one of the sins of Babylon. Number two, love God with your whole being. The sin of Babylon is idolatry. Just worship the living God. Love him with all you've got. Give Jesus your first love. At the beginning of the book, he says, you've lost your first love, and that's really the only thing I'm interested in. All the other stuff is just an expression, but he's the eternal lover of your soul, and he's looking for you to love him because he loves you with a love that gave his life. He gave his everything for you. Don't follow, count things of this world that are going to come under destruction. They're ultimately of no value that are part of Babylon. Just love God and follow Jesus. Number three, live in sexual purity. Don't buy into the sexual immorality, and we're bombarded by it every day in our community, on the internet, in relationships. Live in sexual purity. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. No coarse jokes, no dirty jokes, no. But what? Gratitude. He says this. Or any kind of impurity of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Be set apart to Jesus and live in sexual impurity, not the impurity of the world. Office parties, pornography, uh, sexual temptation in so many different ways bombards us. But those who flee Babylon say, I'm going to give my body to Jesus and my heart to Jesus and my mind to Jesus because he's my first love. Number four, sin of, of uh Babylon was materialism. Living for the luxuries of this world. And uh, the scriptures say, no, recognize those things are going to be destroyed. They're going to be gone. In fact, when you die, if if God has blessed you with them, they're going to go to somebody else. And you have no control ultimately of what happens with them. So what does the the Bible say? What does the Holy Spirit say to you and me? And by the way, we are the rich people. (laughs) You You travel to different countries of the world and whoever you are, you say, I'm not rich, I just live paycheck to paycheck. There are so many millions and billions of people who would love to have the material prosperity that i have that you have Uh, because we live in a luxurious none of us need to worry about food on our plates Uh, we are blessed materially so that's not to be guilt that's just to recognize these are good gifts from god but what do we do with them we don't live for self-indulgent luxury Command those who are rich in this present world, that includes you and me at New Hope Kailua, not to be arrogant that pride is Babel, or to put their hope in wealth, because it's going to be destroyed, which is so uncertain. But what? Put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's blessed us for these things to enjoy, but not to be self-indulgent and not to hoard, but to bless other people with. Command them to do good, to be rich, In good deeds, in your actions, to be generous and willing to share, to use those material benefits for the benefit of other people. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves, not on earth, but in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age. It's an investment in the coming age, in the eternal state. The new heavens, the new earth, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So, invest your prosperity for God's purposes, not for self-indulgence. Number four, one of the sins of Babylon was deception. Well, believe the truth. Who is the truth? That's Jesus. He is the truth. And live truthfully. Live truthfully. Because anytime you're involved in little white lies, or deception, or cutting corners, you're walking on Satan's ground because he's the father of all lies. And those who have the mark of the seal of Jesus on their lives say, I'm going to put my faith in the truth, and I'm going to live truthfully in my relationships. And that's what the scripture. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't be deceived by the false teachings of the world and the idolatry of the world. And then in our relationships in the family of God, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Deal truthfully in a way that cares for other people. That leads to maturity. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, Jesus, the one whom we worship and love. Number six, one of the sins is injustice. Seek justice. When you see there's a need for justice around the world, But in your own office, in your community, be an instrument for things done rightly to care for people. And uh, that can happen in a number of different ways. Micah says, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to act fairly, to make sure people are treated rightly. And to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Um, Just yesterday morning, my uh, dear brother, Ikaika, uh, he, he uh, texts me it's not just me I'm glad he texts a group of men a verse from the Bible every day and he does that to me because he knows he has to keep his pastor on track <laughs> and I love it so he sends me a verse of the Bible and the one that came up yesterday was beyond past press time or I would have put it in your notes was another Micah verse and it says this it says um, let justice roll on like a river <laughs> that's what God wants to see fair and equitable treatment of people created in the image of God let justice roll like a river righteousness like a never failing stream so be an instrument for what is right and fair in people's lives wherever that is number seven and we're pow pray for the persecuted persecution was part of Babylon it was part of of, uh, the sin of Babylon hostility towards God that's directed towards God's people that's going to come to an end and yes, we should be grateful that we really don't face the kind of persecution, at least being rounded up in prison and uh, being tortured and losing our jobs because we're a follower of Jesus. And which the, the, writer, the, the uh, people ju- that uh, we've seen, the people that, that John was writing, many of them lost their economic opportunities because of their allegiance to Jesus. Some were exiled, some were even killed. And. Um, we need to pray for brothers and sisters in, around the world because we're one family, we're one body. And when a, one member suffers, we should be praying and supporting for those. And I have to admit to you that part of studying the Revelation has amped up my prayer for persecuted believers because most of us live our lives. It doesn't show up on the news. It doesn't show up in the newspaper. But uh, there are ministries. You can find them online that keep track of persecutions. Again, the ones we know. But nobody knows exactly what happens in these closed countries, but Christians are being persecuted. I saw one last week, praise God, that Christianity is thriving in parts of Iran, (laughs) even though it's persecution, that, that there are people coming to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit is revealing himself through dreams and visions in various ways. And so God is active even in persecuted countries. And as we've learned throughout history, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church that very often the church grows most, it certainly did in communist China, exploded when it was persecuted. So none of us want to see persecution happen, but we need to pray for brothers and sisters around the world that are actually suffering because of their faith in Jesus. I want to invite you to stand and we're going to pray together and thank God that we worship the lamb, that he's coming in judgment, but he's coming to establish a new creation. And we need to pray and encourage each other to get the heck out of Dodge, not to live in Babylon, but to set our hearts on the heavenly city and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. There's so, many, so much of it that is troubling to us to see your judgment poured out in, in, in powerful ways on earth. But we thank you ultimately that you were just. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross that shows the seriousness of sin that it costs the life of the Lamb of God to bring forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for your heart of love that cleanses us, that forgives us, that claims us to be your own, that we stand with you, not yet physically, but we will stand with you in the new creation, celebrating the wonder of who you are, that you have destroyed evil on earth, that you're creating a new creation that is even more better than the beautiful creation you've surrounded us with. We look forward to that day. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to live separate from Babylon. We would recognize her prideful immorality and the sins that will bring judgment, and that we would be those who live for the Lamb and experience your blessing and encourage one another as a church family until that day comes. So we love you. We serve you this day in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.